All right, I think we'll get things rolling. Um, my name is Tom Suter. I'm the founder of the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center. And welcome to a very timely topic uh, this afternoon. Welcome to accelerating the TIC 3.0 and the, and the pandemic. Uh, accelerating TIC 3.0 and the pandemic. I've had too much coffee already. Uh, welcome to all the attendees. Really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to, from your social distancing and, and uh, communicating with the rest, rest of the community. Uh, I really want to thank Shelly Scarpelli and the Fortinet team. They've been a really, really good partner. And the folks there I've known for quite some time. You know, the president of Fortinet Federal is Bob Fortna. I've probably known him 25 years, um, which scares me, probably for the both of us. And then uh, Jim Harrison, I don't know if he's on. I've worked with him when he was at AT&T installing these networks that we're talking about today. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to hear from our speakers in a minute. I'm going to introduce them. Might pop a poll question or two on you, and then we're going to open it up to questions. We really want to get some feedback, uh, especially from our government colleagues out there. And uh, I will introduce the panelists. And at least in my upper right-hand screen, we've got Jim Russo with GSA. And uh, I've known Jim quite a long time. He really uh, worked back in the days of SATCOM when you started that thing and consolidated those schedules with with uh, DOD. Um, so I've known you quite a long time. To my right, I don't know where it is on your screen, but we've got Sean Connolly, who's a TIC program manager. He's over at CISA. Uh, been, Sean has been spearheading the TIC 3.0 uh, in the federal government, and we'll be happy to hear from him in a little bit. And uh, in my lower right hand, left-hand screen, we've got Jim Richburg, who's the public sector uh, CISO for Fortinet. And uh, very timely, I saw you came out with that article at GCN, I think it was yesterday, um, on security, so definitely look that up, and we'll include that up there. Jim's got a fantastic background, longtime government employee. He worked for a certain three-letter agency, um, a couple times actually, and he was uh, recently the National uh, Intelligence Manager for Cyber at the ODNI. And last, but certainly not least, we have Jerry Karen. Uh, He's the Acting Enterprise Network Management uh, Office at the U.S. Department of State, and that's his day job. His other job is he runs the TIC 3.0 uh, working group at ATARC. So uh, looking forward to these perspectives from, from these gentlemen. And, and before we get going, we're going to kick things off with Sean. I was just thinking back to TIC 1.0. And if you can remember, it's kind of like you've got to go back a ways, but uh, we, it, it was at the late 2000s, and I think the iPhone had just come out. And uh, the uh, guidance from OMB and Susan Evans, uh, Susan Evans at the time, uh, Karen Evans, excuse me, was we have to consolidate all these network connections. The Department of Defense actually had their act together. They had about 17 ways to connect to the internet and they were monitoring that traffic. Um, can everybody put it on mute? There's a little scratchiness in the background, if you don't mind when you're not talking, thank you. So uh, the DOD kind of had that part down. So the federal government was all over the place. We had lots of connections to the internet and it was definitely an issue. So TIC 1.0 was a great step to consolidate these with the telecom partners, that actually happened, and that was very, very good. The only thing that happened that was unanticipated is that cloud hit us. Cloud computing started then. Uh, and how are we going to connect now? We just figured this one problem out. Oh, yeah, mobile devices. Back then, if you can recall, we were on 2.5G uh, megabytes. Uh, so it was not like we were using our, our, our mobile computing for any kind of bandwidth. We certainly weren't look, really looking at video. So a lot of things happened after that. And, and uh, that's where we are with TIC 3.0 is, is really working these newer use cases. Um, so without further ado, I want to introduce, Sean is going to kick us off. And maybe, Sean, you can kind of tell us how this has been going and, and uh, give people some background on TIC 3.0 for those are, that aren't as attuned to it. And then tell us where we're going with the guidance that just came out uh, in the wake of the pandemic. Okay, sure. Can you hear me okay? Sure can. Okay, great. So thank you, Tom, uh, to the ATAR team for this opportunity to present. A little background on myself. Uh, my name is Sean Connolly. I'm with CISA, the Cybersecurity 
an infrastructure security agency at DHS. Uh, I've been supporting TIC since the uh, first efforts, as Tom mentioned, back in mid-2000s under Karen Evans. Uh, originally, I was at State Department as a consultant, and then in 2013, moved over from State to uh, DHS as a Fed employee. Uh, since 2013, I've been supporting the TIC initiative uh, along with CDM, Einstein, and also more recently, I support the IT mod report, and then also was on the uh, NIST special pub. Tom, do you want to enter the other people, or do you want me to just keep going? Oops. You're on mute, buddy. That's All the right, first me... roll, not to go on me. You go ahead, and uh, okay. we'll get to everybody else when you get finished, okay? Okay, great. Sure, thank you. All right, so uh, to mention, to go where Tom started, the, the pole star, the North Star for everyone, they're all orbiting around is that new TIC memo, OMB uh, 1926, the update to the TIC initiative. Came out from the uh, federal CIO, Suzette Kent, the deputy CIO, Margie Graves, and the federal CISO, Grant Schneider. And that memo uh, laid out three things. It laid out the new strategy, the architecture, and the visibility. A strategy, as Tom was mentioned before, was around original TIC-1 and TIC-2 was a consolidation of networks, a concentration of security, these finite TIC access points. Uh, with TIC-3, we now still have that uh, consolidation as an option, but now there are other options to do it, uh, to consider. So a strategy allows for that consolidation, but allows for uh, a controlled expansion, if you will, uh, based on the CIO and CISOs at the agencies. And then these architectures, we still had that uh, tick access point, the concentrated uh, firewall stack as your uh, one solution. But then we have alternatives. Uh, what Tom mentioned before about use cases, we have other options available. So the use cases are those other architectures we're looking at. And third, visibility, which is about that situational awareness, both to the agencies and how they become aware of their environments, and then back to CISA also, uh, our mission requirements both towards CDM and NCPS, the Einstein program. So that, that shift in the memo, it goes from that single network boundary to distributed architecture. That's the most fundamental part of that memo. It begins that transition from a single uh, perimeter, single trust boundary, if you will, to this multi-trust, this multi-zone uh, solution. Also, the memo allows the uh, guidance ourselves, what we'll be talking about, be both iterative and adaptive. We can produce new guidance as we see new architectures, new options. Uh, third, to the agencies, it gives broader interpretation authorities. It allows the agencies a greater availability choice of how they feel the guidance can uh, best support their missions. And then fourth, it rescinds the old OMB memos back from the time from Karen Abbott because we built off of those. Mm -hmm. So then that was what was released in September. In December, CISA, we released a number of uh, documents support the memo. Uh, these documents were built over uh, literally two plus years. We had involvement from 50 plus agencies. Uh, we also, through Jim Russo and OMB, we had a number of meetings with the EIS vendors. We also had deep dives and one-on-ones uh, with cloud vendors, security vendors, agencies, and we had a number of pilots that we'll talk about in a moment. Um, the documents can be grouped into two separate uh, segments. We had the guidebook and the reference architecture which is more the strategic documents. Those are the ones we asked the agencies to look at first, understand both the history that Tom was talking about, uh, the, the options that are available, what we're trying to do and build off of. And then we had the second group of documents called the uh, security capabilities handbook, the uh, use cases and the overlays. And those we look at to be more tactical, more operational. Those are what the agencies will use as they build out their new uh, solutions. So that's what we released in December. And then, as Tom was mentioning, with the pandemic and the telework surge that came on, uh, both OMB, CISA, uh, GSA, we're hearing about we need an, an option available now. We understand the guidance was released in December, that's draft. We want other alternative solutions now that support telework, something that could give us um, a, a vision forward. So we developed this telework guidance pretty quickly. It was developed before OMB's memo, I'm sorry, 2019, which is Harnessing Technology Support Mission Continuity. That complements that draft guidance that we released in December, but it's different. But we were hearing what were some of the solutions and architectures that would be considered in line with the spirit of that draft guidance. 
So it's important to understand what we released in April is not part of that key program documents that we released in December. Uh, but it's important that when you look at this draft guidance that we just released in April, that you refer back to the guidance that we released in December because it builds off that. The uh, guidance itself is for agency teleworkers accessing sanctioned cloud uh, services. It's meant to be architecture agnostic, meaning it can support from virtual private networks, VPNs, to VDIs, all the way up towards zero trust solutions. What we recognize, because uh, again, put out pretty quickly, um, that this was more focused toward the traditional VPN solutions. But we want to start hearing about agencies that are going toward VDI and also uh, zero trust. We know as the government moves away from those traditional network architectures, that there'll be a greater reliance on authentication mechanisms to validate that remote user. So we're working in collaboration with OMB and GSA to address that gap in future use cases. Um, this guidance that released in April, it's not an overlay, it's not a use case, it's kind of a take segments from each of those individually. And the guidance is not prescriptive. It's intentionally, it should be leveraged agencies uh, and adapted for their practical teleworking scenarios. And it gives out three high-level scenarios, three options, if you will, because that remote user that wants to go directly uh, from their client side to the uh, cloud providers also gets a second option where if the agency wants those users to come back through something, we call it an agency resource, whether it's their agency ticket access point or an agency data center or their agency headquarters, how to route that traffic back through uh, that resource and up to the cloud. Then third option is if agencies want to build out a solution using a CASB. And we put some high-level guidance, some high-level capabilities around each of those different options. The last part of that guidance has an appendix, which is a table for the vendors to use. And this we're interested to see how the vendors will then take that appendix, that table, and map it to their services and say, this is how our vendor service, we believe, maps back to capability. It gives the agencies a starting point, if you will, to understand, okay, these are the vendor services that we may be able to use to meet that TIC capability. They're crosswalks, if you will. But it's important to understand um, the agencies can use it to build out their architectures in a way that meets their risk tolerance and business mission needs. The overlays will vary in content. We just provide that, that template, and then the uh, vendors will build out how they best reflect uh, their services but we, CISA, we do not adjudicate those uh, overlays. We don't endorse any of the overlays. Uh, we don't attest to the strength of the map mappings or validate the implementations. That's where we're relying on the agencies and hearing back from them as they start to use these overlays along with the vendors. So we have that documents that we released in um, December. We have this one released in April. The April one is going to be uh, just an interim document. We, we have the idea that. Uh, we will build out a remote user use case, and then when that remote user use case comes out, then we'll deprecate this interim telework guidance. So I think with that, Tom, I'll turn it back over to you if you want to turn it over to Jim. Yeah, I think we, we've got some questions already coming over, but let's go hold those off until we can get through our, our presentations. And uh, Jim, uh, welcome aboard. I think you got to get off mute. Um, but uh, Jim is going to give us that perspective from across government and, and, and maybe some perspective of what the industry is doing. Okay, okay thanks, Tom. And, and uh, thank you uh, for inviting me to, uh, to this webinar. And uh, pleased, to, pleased to be here to uh, support Sean as we've been for the last uh, several years. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, you know, in, in relation to the uh, pandemic, the first things we saw were uh, agencies reaching out and basically bulking up their bandwidth. You know, a number of cases where you know, all of a sudden, you know, all their telework load went from wherever, wherever it was to full bore. And so there were a number of requests, hey, we need more bandwidth for our MTIP solution. Um, you know, generally that in addition to uh, hey, we need more devices, we need headsets, we need you know, basic connectivity, uh, just so they could you know, cre you know, create some semblance of continuity of operations. So those were the immediate um, concerns that we dealt with and dealing with on a little bit uh, lesser scale right now, a lot of those immediate um, responses have been satisfied. 
Um, but at the same time, it sort of accelerated our movement towards where we were, we were already going um, because uh, you know, going back to where EIS involvement started in Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions contract, for those that don't know that uh, acronym, um, we built in um, from the beginning the flexibility to accommodate the CISA guidance and the agency's needs as they became more and more cloud aware and things were moving into the cloud, not only just applications and uh, compute, but infrastructure as well. So, um, you know, we've looked at it sort of holistically in terms of when you're talking about TIC3, it's part of the whole IT modernization paradigm. It um, is a way to um, basically break down impediments for agencies to go to the cloud, uh, which is which was one of the real uh, focuses of the IT modernization report to the president back in 2017. Uh, uh, so, you know, for GSA's involvement, you know, we were tapped to focus on EIS as our vehicle to consolidate acquisition uh, activities from agencies and to provide you know a way for agencies to a move to the cloud b improve their cybersecurity, and we're focusing on that through the tick program obviously so we've done a number of things already and you know we're basically stepping up the pace now in, in the last month or so uh, to you know we've been having a lot of one-on-ones with with industry and agencies, as, as Sean mentioned. And we've also um, taken, taken in several um, sets of comments from industry as we rolled out ideas for uh, making changes and modifications to the contract. For instance, uh, where we started was, you know, there's been a real push to modernize basic transport, um, you know, move agencies from their basic TDM-based infrastructures, um, both for voice and for data, and get that you know more to an IP structure, Ethernet type of transport. Um, at the same time, you know, one of the things we wrote in the contract from the get-go was, hey, we were looking forward to innovation in the software-defined networking space. And um, as we speak now, we're we're in completion stages, completion stages of of a modification to add a defined software-defined wide area network or SD WAN solution to the contracts. You know, those can be supplied now, they can be asked for now, they can be supplied now, in fact, some of that's already happened. But we thought by standardizing a set of requirements, um, a pricing structure, and um, just a place where there was sort of a, ba a baseline of, of uh, SD-WAN type solution would really help both agencies and industry. So we're, we're in final stages of doing that. At the same time, um, we've improved our uh, capabilities uh, to move agencies to the cloud securely. So we've updated our cloud service provider connection capability. And you know, all the things I'm talking about right now are, um, you know, well, that's the cloud service provider connection has already been changed on the contract. The SD-WAN is, is in the final stretches. But so that modernized idea of transport, software-defined networking, better ways of managing the network, and secure access to the cloud, all feed our TIC 3.0 strategy. Um, and the TIC 3 strategy builds from, you know, we still have the baseline, the legacy MTIP solution set. Um, there's been a lot of interest in agencies in basically leveraging that MTIP solution set, um, either using it as is temporarily as they transition from expiring contracts to EIS, with an eye towards modernizing as they go forward. Okay, give us some tips to get started, get our transition accomplished. And then we want to hear what industry has to say in terms of bringing us into a tick three type of solution set, given that agency's environment, you know, whether it's a hybrid cloud or um, full cloud or, you know, whatever they might happen to have. Um, so uh, that, you know, to that end, um, we're not done, you know, it, just as, you know, there is, you know, MTIPS was static, you know, it was a, it was a world where, okay, we had one choice, it was, a, uh, you know, a blessed um, 
set of requirements, a security stack that yeah, that was uh, spelled out in detail in the contract. Industry could provide it. DHS basically designed and approved it. And any agency that bought it knew that check. You know, we've done what we're supposed to do. Um, with with the TIC 3.0, the contracting challenge is now you know we're opening it up so CISOs and CIOs can design the requirements that meet their mission better instead of a one size fits all peg or hole they've got to fit their peg into. So it's, um, it's it's a challenge in that you know we can't just simply say oh for every use case we're going to have a single solution. No, it's not going to work like that. Um, so we had the flexibility in there. We had the building blocks already built into our managed security services. We can mix that with um, SaaS tools. So there's a cloud aspect. There's basic equipment. So white boxes that will support an SD-WAN requirement, for instance. All of those are on the contract. And our challenge is, okay, how do we make them available as a comprehensive package to agencies? And how does industry provide that? So that's really where our focus is now. It's it's updating the contract to provide the pricing elements needed and the way to tie it all together. You know, all the pieces are there in the contract. It's broad, it's broad scope, um, and you know, we have we as I said, we have all the pieces. It's just the way. How can you package them um, in a way that makes sense in terms of how an agency is going to consume it? Um, so that that really dips heavily into how we can price it and what options we have, and and we are trading on the basic flexibility of the contract to do that. You know, we've got defined services, defined CLINs, the ability to do catalog offerings, which is very much like a schedule for certain services and managed security services happens to be one of those services. And then finally, um, you know, the ability to do what we call um, uh, TUCs. Um, so it's the agency unique um, CLINs. Um, so, uh, Putting all that together, we have a pretty comprehensive set of tools, and it's just a matter of matching them to the guidance and to the agency's needs. Great. Thank you, Jim Russo. And uh, we're going to move over to, uh, and I, I've got some SDM questions for you later, but we'll, we'll, we'll get on that. Uh, Jim Richberg, love to have that perspective from across government and industry uh, on what you see out there. Okay, so can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Can hear you uh, great. To paraphrase, to paraphrase Alien, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than dialing into the Zoom conference and in cyberspace, no one could hear you screaming hello, hello, because Zoom doesn't recognize your mic. So thank God for the iPhone. But this this certainly feels like old home week, Tom, because I too remember Tick 1.0. I was uh, one of the people who put together the CNCI, the Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative, and the early TIC was initiative number one in our list of 18 initiatives. And then initiative number two was the Einstein program, Einstein II, the static, not real-time detection system. And every quarter for six years, I had to do the quarterly reporting for the White House on where we were with implementing TIC. So when I finally wrapped up my government career at the end of 34 years and moved to industry and started hearing again about TICs and TICAPs and MTIPs, uh, I was having a real flashback there, post-traumatic stress syndrome at its worst. So um, it, it's ironic that I left 34 years in the intelligence community and went to Fortinet because it feels like Fortinet is probably the best kept secret in federal IT. I can't tell you the number of friends I spoke to who said, 40 who? And I had to explain that, you know, actually, it's one of the largest global cybersecurity solution providers. A lot of our conversation here has been about federal use of the cloud. It's the default solution in for, for a number of the cloud service providers. It's in the IT, not only of most of the Fortune 100, but pretty much all of the federal government. And we've got more product shipped than anybody else. The reason you haven't heard of us is we're an OEM. We make the security solutions that people like the MTIPS providers use that the value-added resellers, the systems integrators use. So from the OEM's perspective, I can say that I know that industry, that the people who are providing these solutions to you have actually got product and service that meets 
all of the interim use cases that Sean described that certainly meets the fully articulated SD branch use case of TIP 3.0. So my, my big point on this, Tom, would be don't reinvent the wheel. Don't think we're putting out a requirement for something that people are going to have to figure out how to go off and meet because there already are capabilities that not only can meet the articulated TIC use cases, they've got the flexibility to allow you to do more. And sort of to get to Jim Russo's point, I think it's especially true in the area of software-defined networking, where SD-WAN is perhaps the most, the most fully articulated use case, but where the government is just now thinking about how we do SD-WAN, you want to turn around and say, look, the private sector's been starting to roll out SD-WAN for five years. Now, what lesson can you learn from that? As GSA works to define these requirements, let's focus on secure SD-WAN, because pure play SD-WAN doesn't even say you have to have a firewall. Or if you have a firewall, you're, you're possibly chaining it on site, or I'm using a cloud, you know, some, some cloud aggregator before I go to the internet, both of which sort of fly in the face of why I would want to do SD-WAN in the first place, direct connection from this, this field site straight to the internet. So when you define your requirements for SD-WAN, focus on things like secure SD-WAN. Uh, so the government tends to do a really good job of defining requirements. And we, we fail then to look and see where industry has gone in terms of generating solutions. I've heard the same thing on Zero Trust. CISA, and, and even more so, NIST did a wonderful job articulating the functional requirements that it, that, that it takes to implement Zero Trust, which is really a philosophy and not an architecture. It's really things like dynamic segmentation and whatnot, and, and that visibility and control, the words we'll keep talking about, to be able to do that in real time and at a very granular basis. And then I go talk to three-letter agencies from, from my former part of the world that think it's the mythical unicorn, that it can't yet be built. And I want to say, look, if you have the money, I can show you how you could build on a greenfield, greenfield basis something that lives up to zero trust. And look, NIST has certainly described how you can have a hybrid architecture, how there can be a, a transition path to get there. These products actually exist. And the government has helped to actually shape what we mean when we talk about zero trust, dynamic, dynamic segmentation, which are kind of fancy ways to say defense and depth that I think all of us have been dealing with for, for 30 years. But, but then turn around and say, okay, industry, can you show me how to do it? Because the answer is yes, and I think in government we tended not to realize that was the case. And I think that, that pertains to tick free TIC is a good way to help accelerate government's move to the cloud. It's a good way to accelerate government's move towards software-defined networking, especially SD-WAN. So now open our eyes collectively and say, so can you show me productized, commercialized solutions to do it? And I think the answer is yes, they're out there. Thank I you very much for me. that perspective. Yeah, no, you're, you're, we're gonna pull you back into this, don't worry. Uh, and last but not certainly, uh, not least, we have Jerry Karen. And Jerry is actually at work today, from my understanding, right, Jerry? Yes, sir. How how's that like? What is what is it like at the Department of State? You guys are thinned it out or <laughs> go ahead. It's quiet, huh? It's so very quiet. I don't have to go sit in any conference rooms. Nobody coming by my door. Kinda nice. Um <laughs> You're like the Maytag repairman, huh? Yeah. But um yeah, so I'm the I'm the infrastructure for the department, so we're we're twenty four seven, um, of course, so pretty critical to the operations here. We were for for the pandemic. We were set up pretty good. Um, I got to say, we were able to overcome and get people teleworking. Um, luckily, we were pretty much migrated to the cloud, so that was a big plus for us. Um, everybody's email already being in the cloud and files, so um, that was a good thing for us. Um, so I do run the tech infrastructure here for the department. Sean left us in good hands for the when he created it here or initially stood it up. Um, still still running it. Um, so, you know, that's the traditional type. Um, we have, you know, have express routes for one of, one of our clouds, our O365. Um, we've redefined that as part of our boundary. Um, and mail still routes through the tick, of course, um, for inspection and everything. One of the things we are doing that's unique, and we've been working with DHS and OMB 
on a use case, and we're actually actively piloting right now um, at one of our posts is um, a solution to have the tick at location at the embassy. Um, rather than having to backhaul everything back here to go back out to the tick. So we're actively piloting that right now. We've got some good feedback. Um, I don't know if we've talked with Sean's group since this has all started, um, what if DHS has got any feedback for us. But as far as we know from performance on the ground there, um, there is some improved performance. Um, Post seems to be, the site seems to be happy with the performance. So. I uh, think it might be a good thing for for agencies like us that are very geographically dispersed rather than having to backhaul everything to one place. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about our working group as well, Tom. Um, so we are running the TIC, we have the TIC 3.0 working group. Uh, it's made up of agency um, folks, you know, actual government folks, a few consultants and some vendors. Um, of course, with any working group, there's a lot of forming and storming at the beginning, and we, we were doing a lot of that and getting people coming together, um, understanding what we're doing. I think we're on a good path now. We're making some good progress. Um, we've put together some business cases. Uh, we just developed some use cases, uh, both for the actual um, different scenarios, especially with the pandemic scenarios that we have right now. You know. Um, coming back to off-site to your network and VPNing to wherever your destination is. Also, we have the personal mobile untethered straight to the cloud rather than having to tether back to your on-premise network and go back out. So we're putting those use cases together. We have a few architectures that a few of the vendors have offered up. So I think actually tomorrow we're going to talk about logistics of getting the lab stood up so we can um, test out these use cases and proof of concepts. And of course, the documentation that Sean was talking about, that's a major input for us um, in those scenarios and those use cases. So we're making good progress and we expect to start the logistics on getting those labs set up. Uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about the lab for those that don't have context. If you wanna go into that, just maybe for another couple minutes. Yeah, sure. So. Um, as, as mentioned, we're, we're going to take our use cases, set up the lab. We have a set of requirements which we believe um, meets the security functions that have to happen within the tick. So we're going to set up the lab at one of the vendor locations. It's going to be a mix of different vendor solutions, um, and we'll test all the use cases through those as a proof of concept to give different flavors. Uh, we also have monitoring that we're layering on top of that to allow us to monitor full end-to-end -end and performance. Um, one of the things is I'm dealing with right now, um, as an example, is I can't monitor somebody's home internet connection. Um, I can only manage my own network. So how do, I, how do I add that in and be able to monitor, especially if I'm you know, untethering from my on-premise network and allowing people to go straight to the cloud, but still meeting the, the functional requirements that I want to meet um, security-wise that, that a tick would have, how am I going to apply those and have that monitoring in place too for the performance and, and everything. So we're adding that layer onto it as well. So like I said, we'll, we're working on the logistics for actually standing it up. The partners have some of their um, infrastructure and architectures that they want to put in. We'll probably mix and match in different ways so we have different uh, proof of the concept, see what works, see what doesn't work. Okay, that sounds fantastic. And we'll actually send some of the stuff about the lab and the working group in our takeaway, go away package. And uh, so we're starting to get some questions. Uh, Jim Richberg, I have one that you can lead off. And if anybody else wants to chip in, that that would work. Uh, what do you see? What are the, the benefits that are the tangible benefits are that out of uh, SDN, you know, software defined networks, that's going to affect people? You know, and what you've seen in the private sector, you mentioned before that the private sector was, uh, you know, was about, you know, kind of four or five years ahead. What, 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 how does that help you I'm a, if I'm an IT person in the government? So it's, it is a phenomenal multiplier. It's a cost saver. I mean, I, I'm aware of a Fortune 200 company that uh, 
did 1,200 sites, and they moved from T1 connections, MPLS T1s, which is one and a half megabits per second. Even 4G will give you, what, 50, 50 up, uh, 100 downloads. So they increased their speed that, that much. They're saving $100 million back to, the, back to the top line of the company over five years. They're getting the operational flexibility to be able to move things around on the sites. And because you do the application sharing with SDN, you, the user, can say, okay, the Zoom video that is a work conference, I need it to have the following service level agreement. I want to say this is the latency and jitter that I've got to have for that. But somebody goes up to look for the cat videos, I don't care about the lag and the latency. You really can be very discriminating about that. So you, you save money, you get greater operational flexibility, you get better bandwidth, and you tend to get a better user experience as well. You avoid what happened to me. I mean, you could say whatever the bandwidth problem was, I can, I can literally build that into the SLA per application. So it's phenomenally powerful. The part that I've been gobsmacked by is that a lot of the early adopters in the private sector went for pure play SDN, SD-WAN. And it was all about traffic management. It wasn't about security. And I said, well, wait a minute. If we're throwing away having a perimeter, as bad as they can be, having a perimeter and having a firewall and having those things in my field office, if I throw those away and go straight to the internet, you don't have to be very imaginative to, imagine, to, to think of the, the, the bad things that can happen here. So it, it is good, but I think we're increasingly finding that organizations are pivoting to secure SD-WAN, whether it's a hybrid solution or whether it's an, a native solution where one device does the traffic management and the security functions. So it, it, it's huge. It's going to be transformational. Fantastic. Does anybody else want to add anything to that? Yeah, Tom. Uh, you know, there was, when we started looking at it, it seemed like it was, uh, as, as Jim just said, really concentrating on better management of an enterprise network at first, um, where uh, you could route more easily around bottlenecks in the network, more efficient use of the bandwidth you have, um, and um, it would just give you flexibility to do kind of what he indicated or hinted at, which is, hey, if I've got traffic that needs um, higher quality service, uh, especially for an application such as this, where you really don't want a lot of jitter and, and dropouts, versus email, for instance, when you know you wouldn't even notice it. Um, so then you can enter, you could uh, engineer your network so that you can start um, using lower cost transport um, choices. So you could use uh, uh, a direct internet access, for instance, as, as we offer as IPS on, on our contracts. Um, and we really haven't seen much uptake, although, you know, he mentioned cat videos. You know, you would think, well, you know, there's some level of traffic, like for training, for instance, that you may just want to run under uh, or over a business class internet type of solution. Um, not seeing whole hog uh, acceptance of that. There's a lot of security resistance within agencies, where the first is, well, I would never run any agency traffic over unprotected internet. But, you know, maybe there's an awakening there that, that will happen. But uh, right now, it's like a knee jerk. No, we don't want to do that. Uh, but I think that's the promise of, of SDN and SD-WAN that you can, if you manage, if you, you know, forecast your risk and you, you uh, architect your network with risk in mind, then maybe you can see areas or, or certain applications where you can do, you can do that. Great, great. Um, I got another question. This is a, probably a quick one and I think it'd probably be a Sean answer. CISA was named the Quizmo for security. Um, can Sean or Jim please comment on this? And, and what's a Quizmo? I, I, I thought this was already done and then it was like news again, but uh, I guess you guys were officially. Is that with Kevin Cox or is that, how do you know, Sean? Uh, very little. It's a different part of CISA that I am. It's the Quality Service Management Organization. Um, there was a um, designation last week, I think, on beyond Quizmo, but I'm not in a position to be able to talk about it here. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll see some more of that. I know uh, Christina Perez that was on Kevin's staff has been reassigned right. to the Quizmo. I think there'll be some overlap with lots of different things, but basically it's a center for excellence 
for security. Yeah, uh, uh, to, to your point, Jim Shear from GSA, he moved over to uh, CISA, okay. and he's he's leading a lot of the Quizmo efforts, activities. Fantastic. Jim, you have any, Russo, do you have anything to add to that? Or do you know? Uh, no, I mean, GSA was assigned uh, Quizmo responsibilities in HR, for instance. I forget now, there was four or six different Quizmos designated. I think, uh, uh, you know, so the idea was one agency would sort of lead the way in terms of defining um, what a quality service was and, and how that should be, you know, rolled out across the government. But uh, we haven't seen any guidance come from the Quizmo to yeah. us. Um, so we've been, you know, we've been sort of following, continuing to follow our path. And I'm assuming like, like uh, uh, I guess you mentioned that, you know, CDM could be part of it. Uh, but you know, right. it hasn't really come right. come to us on tick. No, no problem. Um, another question: If an agency has all their data in the cloud, let's say Office 365 with dual factor authentication and other security controls in place, this comment is: I don't really see a need for agency networking VPN per se. All the data can be accessed via the internet. So, what's the role of Tick3.0 in this scenario, and what's your guidance? So you only take that, I think? Yeah, I think so. So I think that's exactly right in terms of uh, the majority of the data is in the cloud today, right? The, the traditional data centers, the enterprise data centers, their importance is slowly uh, going away. Um, so that guidance that we released out was more for uh, those remote users to have the option to go directly to those cloud services um, and to, to access the agency sanctioned cloud uh, resources. Absolutely, that's what we've heard from the Guinea Tech 3. So that is still um, where we've been trying to go for a while. And then also that traditional tick, I think for now it's, it's still relevant in terms of it's typically the primary way for the agency when they are uh, sending their traffic to the web, right? If they're going to a news site or to um, a banking site or something for their enterprise users, those physical ticks are still the primary way to access those, um, those websites. But then the tick is also used for some DMZ services today. It's still used for uh, network connections to maybe partner networks and other agencies. There's still a relevance for the, the tick itself. I think it's less relevant, and that goes back to what we were talking about a little bit before with SD-WAN. The networks themselves are being abstracted away from the services on top of them. Not saying the networks aren't important, but just the, you have an option now, different options available for networks, how you connect to those services on top of it. So that's what we're trying to do with tech, especially with the interim guidance, is show there's other options. It's not network dependent to get to those services, like the question said, assuming you have the proper uh, authentication mechanisms, encryption, such. Right. Great. Um, this is a question from Tom Ryder, who I know personally. He's out here in Loudoun County with me. And uh, this is an interesting one. This is like, uh, should we foresee authorized TIC 3.0 components or integrated solutions or services? Um, so I think one thing about the difference, and we touched about a little bit, Sean, is TIC 3.0 was, you know, we were really talking, we wanted different solutions to come in. How, how would you answer that question? Yeah, I'll let Jim Russo talk a little about Okay. Authorized services, but I'll say something on the um, the requirements part of it. So what we're focusing on right now, that guidance I mentioned before, we're getting that out the door. There is a um, line or two in OMB's memo about validation of this. So there's an expectation that we will have um, some type of measuring and monitoring going on. But right now, the immediate focus is just changing the uh, the, the architectures around to support these new solutions. Um, I'm not sure, quote unquote, authorized because what we're hearing from the agencies, they have a lot of different options they want to take advantage of. A lot of vendors out there. I think there's over 150 different um, FedRAM packages at this point. So it's it's really incumbent at this point for the agencies uh, to to understand how TIC fits into their risk uh, posture, their risk uh, management uh, posture. I'll let Jim talk about a little bit if you want on the the services. Yeah, so I'll piggyback onto that. So yeah, the risk, um, yeah, the risk development or risk management um, framework that uh, agency will set up is going to be the guiding light there. 
you know, when, when we had the one size fits all solution, it was fairly easy to set up uh, a program to authorize that particular uh, solution or authorize a particular service provider's infrastructure to provide what was in the requirement. So now that we've opened it up and you know, there's going to be multiple sets of requirement most of, uh, and multiple variations on the way that the service is provided. So you're not going to have necessarily that same shared infrastructure that you had for an MTIP solution in future TIC solutions. So you know, to say that we are going to, we or GSA or, or, or DHS or CISA is going to authorize a solution, I think it's probably a, a, a misnomer. Um, I think what agencies will see though is as more and more pilots are achieved, such as what Jerry's talking about, and they can leverage the uh, findings of those pilots. They'll know what works and what doesn't work in given situations. And uh, as Sean indicated, it always was the responsibility of the agency to, to authorize whatever solution they got for security within their overall enterprise um, solution set. So that won't change. Um, it's just the leverage of what's existing. So you're going to have FedRAMP because they're expecting many solutions to either come native from the cloud service providers or third parties doing policy enforcement. You're going to have CASBs. Um, so yeah, there, there's FedRAMP there to leverage. There's the pilots to leverage. And uh, another point, um, may not go specifically to this question, but um, you know, one reason why there's just not uh, an immediate move to a new solution, like put everything on the internet. Um, well, we don't really have that type of a greenfield type uh, situation at most agencies. You know, there's infrastructure in place there's going to be sort of a measured movement from the infrastructure that's in place to a, a totally cloud-based infrastructure. So that um, you know, sort of justifies why we keep in place the legacy solutions to allow that baseline or jumping off point. Um, but you know, having said that, not everybody's going to jump to the same place. So um, you know, it's it's a that's a complicated answer to a complicated question. But you know, that's that's where we are right now. <laughs> Great. Uh, we are going to shake it up a little bit and we are going to introduce some poll questions. I hope, Maddie, uh, we can pop those up. We've got a few. We'll, we've got like over 200 people on this webinar. Let's see if we can get. Okay, here we go. First question. Well, implementing remote telecom solutions for the workforce during COVID-19, your organization did what? Um, so we've got a couple questions up there. If you can answer them as quickly as possible. We can come up with uh, we can come up with something, and then the second question too: How do you, do you feel your organization has reliable, up-to-date remote capabilities? Uh, I don't know. I, I've seen like I would say about three different scenarios out there in the federal government, and, and you guys are welcome to chip in. It seems like we have the GSA types that actually really all the things they did with remote computing for years really helped them in this. It was probably business as usual. And then you have other agencies that had some teleworkers, maybe they had some office workers, and that's a lot harder. Uh, that means you have to have more VPN tunnels, where you have to have more, um, you have to issue computers with PIV cards because they didn't ever work remote. And then um, I think in the intelligence community, and Jim knows that area really well, it's we basically had on, on and off because you have to go into the SCIF, you can only fit so many people in there um, so, Maddie, I think we're gonna have to call it. What do we got? I have no idea. Okay. So what do we think? Is that, I mean, tick three dot just, uh, dot O just came out 15% that I would think that was better than I thought. Well, I think with that one, right, Tech 3 is, is A, it's draft still. The guidance that we, we released is draft. So I don't. I think some agencies are waiting until there's more uh, formalized uh, guidance out there. And mm -hmm. also, to, to implement something takes a long time. And so we're still, again, just in yeah. the beginning stage of Tech 3. So I can understand why, you know, if, if someone's reading that verbatim, that it, it, that'd be a tough one to do in such a short period. 
Um, the interim goddess one, I can understand on that too, because that's just been released. I think a lot of what we've done is capture best practices from some other documents and some other initiatives and uh, uh, codify them into the interim guidance. And I think the next one, do you feel your organization has reliable up-to-date remote capabilities? That, I thought it's a little higher than I, I don't, you know, uh, from tangentially, just for me, it's like some, some folks are having trouble with video. Some people, uh, the network is really, really slow. I'm just, uh, seems like that's actually pretty good performance. So anyway, all right, we're going to move on to questions. Uh, this is from Dave Nazapir, who is a reporter um, for Gerald and Sean. How long has the embassy tick pilot been going on and how is success being measured to determine if that becomes an official tick use case? Great question for Jerry and Sean. Jerry, so, do you want to start that? Yes, yeah, you sure. can talk about so, it. Go ahead. So, yeah, so it just started, it started not too long before all the mass telework started. So we were just getting started. However, it's kind of taken a delay because nobody's at, at site right now because they're all working from home as well in some of the, in the location that we have it. So it's, it is a, a 90 day proof of concept that we were doing. Um, of course, we took metrics before regarding performance, and we're taking metrics now regarding performance. Um, of course, we're looking to make sure that we have the same telemetry um, security-wise that we have in our static tick that we run. Um, we're making sure that we can get the data or the telemetry that DHS needs through the tick as well. And so those are the measurements we're going to take. After the 90-day pilot's done, what we intend is we're going we're gonna to projectize and we're going to do a, an assessment of other solutions out there. But basically, this was to get the use case. Did it for us? Is it a good return on investment? Does it improve performance? Because now I'm not backhauling all that network data. So that was the plan before the pandemic stuff hit. And Sean may want to talk about the telemetry that they get from this. Yeah, I'll talk about um, a little bit from a different angle. So. Uh, we so, so we work with a number of agencies on pilots, and from our perspective, we don't promote the pilots unless the agency who's sponsoring the pilot does. So uh, I think everyone's heard about SBA and their tick pilot because Maria wrote and her team talks about it. Um, Department of Energy, they won the first pilots. Uh, Max Ever, uh, who was the CIO, promoted it. Uh, but there's also a number of other pilots we work with, but we don't talk about just for sensitivity background. So um, we are working with some other agencies. Um, besides uh, State Department. The idea is to distill lessons learned um, from those different pilots and put them into, I believe, the branch office use cases, the one we're looking at with State Department this time. So we'll work with some other agencies, what they're doing in different cloud environments, how they're accessing from different branch offices, and then um, try to distill all those into that draft use case, which will then turn over to the Federal CISO Council, which will be the one that approves it and allows for greater adoption across .gov. Uh, interesting question on the measuring. So that's one thing we've been working with each of the pilot agencies uh, because each agency has a different way to monitor quote unquote success. And we've been distilling those into um, um, some templates that we will want to release later on. It's not part of our guidance, but when we start doing more pilots, just for some things for agencies to consider to measure their success, because there's different ways to measure it. You can measure on bandwidth and latency. You can measure like on, on just uh, um, the user experience, if you will. You can measure in terms of services themselves. So um, there are different ways to measure that, and that's what we're trying to capture from all these different pilots, uh, put them into something where other agencies can use that as they start to consider their own proof of pilots, or proof of concepts and pilots, sorry. Great, we got a, we got a couple questions. Um, that might actually be pretty good for our working group, Jerry. Basically, how do we get best practices and guidance together, uh, you know, for agencies? And another question around uh, comparative, what the different solutions are out there, so you can get some kind of comparison. I think that those are good ones. We'll we'll save those uh, for the working group. And then uh, one question is is how do I get use cases approved for tick? 
Uh, I know, Sean, you're dealing with the agencies. How can industry help with that and help agencies out? Um, uh, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I know the agencies have their own uh, tick representative. How would you suggest that if industry wants to help, how would they how would they engage? Yeah, that's a great question. We, we hear that often. And I think the concept or idea about pilots and use cases has changed a little bit since where we were uh, three, three years ago in the IT mod. But uh, and, uh, it's, it's captured, I think, the documents called the pilot process documents, one of the documents that's on our website and CISA's uh, TIC website. But the, the, there's what we've done so far, again, Jerry's an example with some of the other agencies, and there's what we're going to do once the, um, the documents get finalized. And that's going to be where the federal CISO council is going to do data call to agency to say, we want to do a use case around X. I'll just use um, remote user as an example. That data call go out to the agencies. The vendors will know about it. Let's just say it's for a 30-day data call. Um, during that time, I mentioned we made some templates to help agencies build out their uh, pilot proposal plans. Vendors can help agencies to build out their uh, proposals. Those proposals get sent back to the uh, uh, Federal CISO Council, OMB, GSA, CISA, the CISO Council. We'll look through those different proposals. We'll capture which ones we think best meets the idea of the use cases. And then we'll go forward, those agencies that we choose, we'll then go forward with our pilots. And this brings the whole of government, if you will, on those pilots. So from the CISA side, uh, we may involve the CDM program, we may involve the NCPS program, may involve our Intel, our, I'm sorry, our threat analysis in the background. Um, from our side, GSA, Jim's team will be involved with that, possibly some other entities yeah. from that. OMB, they may bring in USDS personnel to help with it. And so those pilots will be working forward. Um, and then the end of those pilots, and the pilots close at different points. You know, as Jerry was saying, uh, we had a, a pretty tight pilot with State Department. But then the pandemic happened and we had to slow down some stuff. We recognize that. So not all pilots are going to uh, uh, end the same point. But in the background, GSA and ourselves, CISA, we'll be distilling, we'll be taking lessons learned from those pilots. Uh, we'll capture those into a draft use case. That draft use case will then be uh, forwarded to the uh, CISO Council. They'll review it. They'll give their thumbs up. And then they'll release it for adoption across greater.gov. That's fantastic. And that's what we're trying to do with the lab. We're trying to get in, get out, do this, figure out these use cases rapidly and get some results out the door. Well, we're getting close to the end. Uh, last comments. Maybe we'll start with Jim Richberg. Some closing comments that you'd like to get out there and we'll we'll go through every through everybody. I can't believe an hour has passed already. It seems like it we've had a twenty minute talk here. Shoot, Jim. Uh, no, I mean this, this has been a good conversation. I mean the, the the questions are the right questions. You know, I, I'm, I'm sensing that government participants are asking about how to move this forward, and you've got industry saying, how can I propose it? extra use cases as well? So I really think that this is an example of partnership, public-private sector partnership, where government can't afford to be behind the eight ball on this one, where, you know, we, where we started this 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago with, with TIC 1.0, where we are now with TIC 3.0, you've got to get this right on cloud. You've got to get this right on, on, on SD-WAN and broader software-defined networking. So it's a real opportunity. And, and I took from this that I think people are thinking and talking about this in the right way. I agree. And Jerry, any last words on the working group? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to the point that we're getting to talk about actually, you know, what is it going to take to stand up the lab? Um, we have, you know, the requirements we think that we want to measure against um, security-wise. Um, we got the use cases. We're trying to account for everything. Uh, we want to do a mix and match or as many different scenarios as we can with, with monitoring in place as well for these scenarios. So I'm pretty excited where we're going, so I look forward to providing updates as we advance in that. Fantastic. And Jim Russo? Sure. Uh, again, I echo Jim uh, Richburg there. Uh, really good questions from industry and agencies, um, asking asking very pertinent questions there. So we appreciate that. It points us in the direction we need to concentrate on. Uh, and I just want to put in a quick plug. 
we've got, if anyone's interested in hearing, you know, a little more expansive uh, discussion of the TIC3 draft guidance um, and uh, what GSA is doing to be in lockstep with it. We've got a Trusted Internet Connections TIC 3.0 webinar posted up on the GSA YouTube um, channel. So if anybody wants to go to that, it's about an hour long. And uh, Sean and, and I walk through you know, a little more detail what we talked about today. That's fantastic. We'll put that out as a resource when we're done. And the last word goes to Sean Connolly with CISA. So, so thank you, Tom, and thank you to our panelists. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be here. Uh, just to wrap up from our side, we have that uh, guidance that we're going to be working toward to finalize as quickly as possible. Um, and then also for the uh, agencies to leverage that uh, interim guidance that were released. Uh, we'd like to hear back from agencies and vendors uh, how they're implementing that, how it helped them. We can use those lessons learned as we uh, build out the new documents. So, Thank you, Tom. Thank you, everyone, for your uh, time. Well, that'll be the last word. And thank you to all the participants uh, for hanging with us pretty, pretty consistently throughout the entire presentation. And we're going to get a big packet out to you with some homework. So you'll be able to see everything uh, that we talked about today. And uh, everybody have a good afternoon and stay safe.